Your sins are absolved. <laughs> we can confess later, and I can I can give you an indulgence now. So <laughs> an indulgence for social media transgressions. It looks like. That's okay. <laughs> He's off social media. This, you know, so. Maybe more. Maybe more. Let's not get too. These austerity shouldn't be too fierce. You know? <laughs> Krishna says not to do too many austerity. <laughs> Ma. Mangalam, Mangalam Bhakta Brindevyo Sarva Lokaya Mangalam, Om Stapakaya Chadharmasya Sarva Dharma Sarupini, Avatara Varishtaya Ramakrishnaya Mangalam, Om Sarashiva Samarambam Shankaracharya Madhyamam, Ashmarachara Prayantam Bande Gurum Paramparam, Om Guru Brahma Guru Vishnu Guru Devo Mahishwara, Guru Devo Param Brahman Tasmay Sri Guru Vedama. So after a long time, we're continuing picking up where we left off, some uh, a little over a month ago. For the winter, uh, we had Revered Swami Chaitanandaji Maharaj here giving beautiful satsangs every Saturday. He's arrived safely in back in St. Louis. So we'll continue. Well, we were reading, we've been reading. Uh, from the Swami Vivekananda's Bhakti Yoga, part of the classic of his four yogas that are considered his. Of course, it's hard to choose one book or one group of books that are like symbolic of Swami Vivekananda, but he considered this like a, like a you know, magnet opus. Is it a term like that? What is it, magnet opus or something like some 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 summary of a major major uh, part of his teachings, uh, and. This small book, Bhakti Yoga, you have a small copy. It's a very small little book. Some of you, <laughs> some of you may have it. It's available in our gift shop. <laughs> right, it's actually very small, right? And and but has very big statements, right? And and usually we think we we usually see in some of Vivekananda's writings, we would say, oh, it's an emphasis on Jnana Yoga because he's he's teaching the modern version of Vedanta. You know, which is sometimes associated with that. But actually, Swamiji says, it's redefining some terms, you know, Vedanta, has a, it's a very specific school of Indian thought, and the schools of Vedanta, and devotional schools, and that's not how, but Vedanta is a term he gave, a, his general presentation. Actually, in the beginning, he called it yoga. He hadn't, he hadn't, uh, he hasn't, uh, 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 even what he taught was the yoga, not the Vedanta. Right, but slowly he used began to use the term Vedanta to describe kind of the general teachings that he was presenting, especially in the West. And but the reason he used the yoga instead of the Vedanta because he considered his presentation of the Vedanta to be based on these four ways of approach or four ways of looking at our, our approach to to realization. And it's perhaps overly simplistic. We can't be a little careful not not to like oh. Some some people are primarily emotional. Some people are primarily intellectual. Some people are, pretty, you know, 
that's a simple way of saying that for bhakti yoga and jnana yoga and karma yoga, those who are very active, and raja yoga, those who are very intelligent and 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 want to control and 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 and, and discipline the mind like that. That's a general thing we could say. It's not wrong, right? But he also gave this example. Swami Chaitanya often quotes that of a, of a, a vehicle. If it has, if a, if a vehicle has four wheels, it's very steady. So none of us are just on one. A unicycle is a very uncomfortable situation, right? I had one. I never got more than a few feet. <laughs> I was never a master unicycle uh, driver, rider. A bicycle is easier. You can get a lot of speed and a lot of. Uh, 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 and then we also had a tricycle. We had a big one of these big, not this little chill, we had an adult tricycle. I had, in my growing up, I had 17 bicycles. We were a little mm-hmm. obsessed with spikes. Garage sales. My family was into garage sales. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Turns out, garage sales, you can go buy a bike for five bucks at a garage sale. We got lots of bikes. <clears throat> so, and we also had a four wheel bike. So we, you know, those things. And the three wheeler, we could also, I was you know, a teenager, young, young, we could actually ride on two wheels <laughs> sideways. But, I have several wounds still from such adventures. So, uh, so writing on the the idea that 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 all of us are not just one thing. We have different aspects. Uh, we we have an emotional nature, a devotional nature. We have an intellectual and understanding uh, nature. We have a will uh, nature. Uh, we have uh, we ha- we're active, you know, and 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 so a a a safe and well developed spiritual life contains all these things. Those different aspects we can label and discuss separately, which is what Swami is doing. But sometimes we find some people feel themselves, oh, I'm primarily, oh, I'm a jnani, or I'm, I'm a, 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 like this, because I have an orientation and like this. Others, no, I'm, I'm, I don't know what I'm about. That's what I'm bhakta, simply, simply chanting God's name, trying to love God. We don't, too much understanding, too much uh, intellectual uh, investigation doesn't suit us. So that's also true. We can, and actually this section we're reading, Swamiji's, um, putting against, not against, but presenting the jnani and can't say verses, but the jnani in comparison to the bhakta, right? Uh, and he, he opens it with a, 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 some quotes from the Bhagavad Gita because Lord, uh, after Krishna showed the universal rupa, that's in the 11th chapter, I think in the 11th chapter of the Gita, he shows the universal rupa. And then, very interesting, as soon as that's finishing, Arjuna goes, oh, please, I, I am overwhelmed by this universal form, I can't handle it. Right? Please let me see your original form. And then he, he takes on his forearm form of Vishnu, and then again his two-arm form is Krishna. Right? And, and then there's some beautiful verses Krishna, Arjuna offers. But then the next chapter picks up, very interesting, and some scholars have posited that, that the universal Rupa, Vishwarupa chapter has been kind of inserted. It's a very important peak of the, of the Gita, right? But the, the, Arjuna then asks a question that could be interpreted as independent of the Vishwarupa that he just saw. He's asking uh, those who worship you in your manifested form, in your, in your personal feature, and compared to those who other, others worship you just as the absolute, all-pervading, un-understandable, unthinkable absolute, which one is, is a real yogi? Which one is more secure in yoga? Or the better yogi, in a certain sense. Uh, so, if the Vishwarupa chapter has been inserted, right? Or who knows where it happened in the conversation, or a tradition has inserted it, then we can ignore it, right? As far as a question, the question not we couldn't ignore, ignore it, but 
as far as, as far as far as Arjuna's question, right? Those who worship the, your your manifested form means the personal form of God, as Ishvara, right? But if we take it as it is, the Gita as it is, right? Arjuna just saw the universal form, so he saw this whole world as a manifestation as of of of, of Vishnu or Krishna, right? So his question: those some some see you like this, some are seeing you manifested as everything. Not just as an impersonal or the background or uh, as a as a as a in tattva form as just some some principle behind everything. Simply see you as everything. So that could also be the nature of this question. Anyway, we'll read the question. I'm getting ahead. I'm giving commentary. I'm giving commentary on the commentators before reading the verse. <laughs> Somebody else reciting the verse. But anyway, I've been th- I like these. I like this particular. Verse. I think about it quite a bit and don't know exactly. Uh, uh, uh. It's not even clear. I don't think it's fully clear what Arjuna is asking. So Krishna's answer is without understanding what Arjuna is asking, it's very hard to get Arjuna's to get Krishna's answer. But we'll see. This chapter is called in the in the Bhakti Yoga the naturalness of Bhakti and its central secret. The previous chapter we read is uh, uh, the preparatory renunciation and the Bhakti's renunciation happens through love. We're talking about that that renunciation is required, but in a devote in, in a devotee. Renunciation happens by accepting, by worshiping of God, the other things fall apart, fall away, should I say, right? As we get a higher taste, a lower taste, by the way. If we get satisfaction, spiritual satisfaction, our search for satisfaction in the material realm of the senses comes less and less. That's the principle. And so Swamiji is making the argument that uh, this is a very natural path, right? Because renunciation is required. If you want to know the one, you have to let go of the many, at least from the mind, at least at some level. Right, but that's very hard. But if you fall in love with the one, and you run towards the one, and you enjoy the one, the other, the many fall fall away. So this is he's saying that this is a bhakti is a natural uh, renunciation is required for everybody. But for a devotee, it's natural and easy. For others, it may be painful and difficult and a struggle. So this is in relation to this conversation. The, so he's quoting from the beginning of the twelfth chapter of Bhagavad Gita. Those whom with constant attention always worship you, Arjuna says, and those who worship the undifferentiated, the absolute, of these, which are the greater yogis? Which are the best yogis? Those who worship, who always worship you, with constant attention always worship you, and those who worship the undifferentiated. Right. So, another, so it's interesting, both are you, right? but those who worship you, Krishna, or you, the personal God, or the or Ishwara, the controller, the, the, the manifested God the, as God, or those who worship the one who's manifested as the Vishwarupa, as everything, the cosmic power behind everything, right? That's you. Or those who worship not you, but some, the part of you that can't be understood. The the because even to say you to to God means you can just by you you mean something that you're pointing to. But those who worship the unpointable, that which can't be pointed to, right? So there's that tendency, that that absolutist tendency. Those who worship you, or those who worship the un- undifferentiated, the absolute. Of these, which are the greater yogis? Asked Arjuna to Sri Krishna. The answer was, those who, quote, those who concentrating their minds upon me, worship me with eternal constancy, and are endowed with the highest faith. They are my, base, my best worshippers. They are the greatest of yogis. Those who worship the absolute, the indescribable, the undifferentiated, the omnipresent, the unthinkable, the all-comprehending, the immovable, 
and the eternal by controlling their organs and having the conviction of sameness in regard to all things. They too, being engaged in doing good to all, and to all beings, come to me alone. So both, so these are two types, those who worship me with devotion uh, and those who worship, uh, 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 you can't say worship, but worship means aspire to love and, 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 and give attention to the, uh, the unthinkable, which is interesting. So the question is, those who, what's better, to think about the one we can think about or to think about the one you can't think about, <laughs> right? Avyakta, he's inconceivable. Achinta, these are the terms, actually, the, the words are very nice, chapter 12. Uh-huh. Here. Avyakta, uh, uh, Achinta, these are the two main ones I like the, the most. The, 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 unchinta means unthinkable, right? So what's better, thinking about the thinkable or thinking about the unthinkable? Right. But obviously it's not that, we can't be, be sarcastic like this, right? That, that can't be the meaning, right? What does it mean is those, those who, you can say, in a certain sense, another thing is that those who prefer, right, the, the, when they think about God, when they think about the absolute, think the highest possible thing, right, the one that can't be thought of, the one that's beyond thought, the, that's our definition. These, are all, this, this, the, these names of, of uh, these attributes of, of God, is Achinta and, and Avyakta, these are throughout, um, all, all throughout, Arjuna addresses Krishna this way. Oh, oh Achuta. Right, you know, so, so he's addressing, oh, you who have no limit, who can't be thought of, who can't be addressed as you. Right, so it's, it's a, I think it's really a tendency of, of, of this, the, uh, of trying to contemplate that which is, knowing the one, that you're trying to find the one that can't be thought about. Right, but... Other devotees, the ones that, uh, that Krishna has mentioned, is those they worship me as the Lord of everything, right? They love me, they see me, they see they, they see my attributes, or what uh, uh, would be known as uh, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, the formless in Thakur's language, uh, akara, uh, yeah, sakara and nirakara, right? You know, with attributes or without attributes, right? So, so it's actually it's a very, it's not, so sometimes we make these, you know, the devotee and the jnani, and actually Swamiji says, it seems that this is defining bhakti and the bhakti and the jnani, right? And that's true, right? But I think it's also, it can also be seen as two ways, both are bhaktas in their own way, right? But which, which is easier to contemplate? What's easier, what, what's, what's, who's the better yogi? A yogi means somebody who has some union, who, can, who has some connection. Is it easier to connect with something you can think about with all level and something you can love, someone you can love, or to think about some, somebody, to connect with somebody who by definition is the unconnectable, unthinkable, unknowable, right? So obviously by set setup, Arjuna, Krishna even gives by saying, by describing those who contemplate on the absolute, uh, in describing the absolute in this language is also giving his answer, right? So let's, what does he say? But those whose minds have been devoted to the unmanifested absolute, the difficulty of the struggle along the way is much greater. For it is indeed with great difficulty that the path of the unmanifested absolute is trodden by an embodied, any embodied being. Those who have been offered up all their work unto me, with entire reliance on me, meditate upon me and worship me without any attachment to anything else, 
them I soon lift up from the ocean of ever-recurring births and death, since their minds are wholly attached to me, attract, attached to me. Translation here. Some of you a very fine translation. I don't want to see the, the verse. But those who worship the imperishable, the undefinable, the unmanifest, the omnipresent, the unthinkable, the unchangeable, the immovable, and the eternal, having restrained all their senses, even-minded everywhere, engaged in the welfare of all beings, verily they also come to me. So both come to me, right? But think about, but but but, uh, and it says, uh, greater is their difficulty. That second, this uh, manifest is it's harder to think about and to contemplate the unmanifest, the unthinkable. For the goal of the unmanifest is very hard for the embodied to read. The word embodied actually, is, I think it's dehina, uh, deha. So one who has a body, it's hard to think of that which is, has no form. right? And so in, in his setup, he says, having restrained all the senses, so what is the requirement to meditate upon the absolute, the imperishable, the unmanifest, the, un, uh, the infinite? It requires restraining all the senses. Krishna states that, right? right? Being even-minded everywhere. If you want to find the one behind everything, you have to have a completely even mind, right? Right. Seeing the one everywhere, and therefore, and also engage in the benefit of everybody, right? So that's the thing. If you it, you have to find, if you want to find the principle behind the, this particular, right? You have to see the, the the principle behind the particular. It's not easy. How to find that? Just so sometimes we say, oh, I, 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 you know, we sometimes joke, you know, oh, we don't go to temples because God's everywhere. Right or or, or 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 you know it's like uh, I don't you know or joke in our family you know you probably have heard similar things it's like we love humanity's people we we can't stand you know <laughs> the, the so, so the idea of loving the of 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 of, of, of we meditate on, on on the on the absolute principle and ignore that's also not possible right but it's turned out it's really difficult. Right, to control the senses and see the one and and only do good to, to all, very difficult to love all equally, because you're knowing that the higher principle behind everything. Is he talking about Brahman? So that's the society that yeah, so the worship of Brahman or the or the attainment or the meditation upon Brahman. So actually, this is a very nice because actually, if we know by classical Vedanta, Vedanta, the classical sadhanas of Vedanta of hearing, meditating, and realizing. Right, hearing about the truth of Brahman from the scriptures and, and, the, and the Guru, meditating upon those statements until one, one has personal uh, breakthrough realization. That's required. Before we do that, everybody thinks, oh, I can do that. I want to hear the highest truth, meditate on the highest truth, and realize the highest truth. Right? I'm totally qualified for that. Right? But actually, it, states, it starts with to qualified for that. They say, yes, you can do this if you're qualified. And the qualifications are the six, uh, six uh, benefits, the six. Uh, uh, um, I mentioned I won't remember them. The, the six the six qualifications, one of which is control of the senses, right? So it's like in order to in order to benefit from that very sophisticated form of of, of, of Vedantic sadhana requires control of the senses, uh, um, uh, knowledge of the scriptures, self. I mean, all there's a, a, a even mindedness, a, um, peacefulness. There's different qualities that are given. I'm forgetting the list right now. I have too many lists in my head. Hmm? What's that? It's it's equivalent. It's not exactly the same yeah, list, but not yeah, not it's not the yamas and yamas. It's the Vedantic. It's the Vedantic version of that. These yeah. are the prerequisites in the Swami Vivekananda mentions it uh, uh, in the um, discipleship talk. These are the requirements before uh, or giving up or not having any ple- any desire for any benefit in this world or in the next world, 
right? You know, so that that you know, so that's a very high state. Actually, in a certain sense, you have to be very spiritually advanced to have those qualities, and and therefore be able to have this type to have this type of meditation be successful. So this is his this is uh, Krishna's own statement. If somebody who meditates upon the absolute. Krishna is the absolute and personal is God, but you know what I mean by, by the end manifesty, avyakta, achinta uh, type of uh, way of uh, nir, uh, nir, or those who meditate on nirgun brahman to use a classical Vedantic state or uh, uh, nirakar brahman or nir, nirgun brahman requirements are having the senses perfectly controlled, being completely even-minded, seeing every, everything equally, and engaged in welfare of all. Right? You know, so that's not easy. Right? That's a hard thing to do. Right. It's it's uh, and relatively rel- relatively. I guess that's not, I don't think I said that right. But rel- uh, 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 comparatively, uh, uh, meditation upon Ishvara is an easier thing, because you can meditate upon God from whatever our understanding, although right now imperfect, because God is also Avyaki, is inconceivable. But whatever we can think. We're we're achieving more and more and more of him as we as we get as our vision becomes clear and our experience becomes clear, right? We can do that from where we are, right? We don't have to be completely self-controlled. Instead, by meditating upon Ishvara, by loving Ishvara, right? Those qualities naturally come. Meditation comes. Self-control comes. Uh, like this. This is, I think, what Swamiji's going to say. We'll see what he says. If not, this is what I just said. That's what Swamiji says. Let's see what the big Swamiji says. Jnana Yoga and Bhakti Yoga are both referred to here. Right? This is a simple definition of Jnana Yoga and Bhakti Yoga. Jnana Yoga is grand. It is a high philosophy. And almost every human being thinks, curiously enough, that he, has, that he, surely, that he can surely do everything required of him by this philosophy. Right? So this is, this is, and, and we sometimes... Hear this, not so much now because our our little group is developed in a different different flavor. You know, we like-minded people attract each other, are attracted to each other. But when we had a larger inf- uh, contact, right, we'd hear people saying, "Oh, it's like, oh, it's uh, um, uh, 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 that because Jnana Yoga is 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 for intel- it's an advanced, it's higher, and therefore, and since I'm very intelligent, right, and and very sophisticated, right." I can do the higher thing, right? It's, and, and bhakti yoga is a lower path, right? And that's not exactly what Krishna is saying, but maybe he says that, it, it, he's saying that the jnana yoga, if, if this is the definition of jnana yoga, the worship of the Nirgud Brahman, meditation upon the Nirgud Brahman, uh, he says it's more difficult. doesn't necessarily mean it's higher. Where both are ways, both, Krishna says both attain me, both are yogis, both meditate upon me, both are union with me. Right, but one is harder, right? And so our joke with such people has been, you know, it's like an intelligent person does the easy thing, not the difficult thing. That's one of the signs <laughs> of intelligence, right? But sometimes it's just a tendency, like those who are really scholarly or really intellectual, they love scholarship and intellectual stuff. That's enjoyable for them. other people. It's like it's unbearably painful. You talk, you talk a, 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 a literary theory to to an artist. You know, like Mikonanda, you shiver. You're thinking about it, remembering his class on literary theory. Other people thrive to see how how literature and art is put together, and the way you know, it's like they they, they love that stuff, right? Uh, and also brilliant people who are also engaged in art, in the study of art. Other people are engaged in the emotional reaction to art and the creation of art, 
right? Not necessarily not caring all the details of what's actually happening, right? So, so, so sometimes it's just a matter of temperament, but sometimes it's a matter of ego, right? I want, I am intelligent. This is higher. I'm doing the higher thing, right? In the foolish, superstitious, simple-minded villagers, right? <laughs> uh, I've, I've, I, it's painful to remember. I've had, I've heard so many of these condescending statements about the so-called devotees, you know. Yeah, it's it is very actually in two sections next. Yes, yes. His next two chapters later is called Universal Love, right? And that then it's not easy, <laughs> right? Actually, love is not easy, <laughs> right? But yeah, love through the mind is even more <laughs> through the intellect is also not easy. Right? It's hard enough through the heart, <laughs> right? To get, but it's hard, even harder through the mind. Right, uh, but so sometimes it's just a matter of tendency. So somebody's saying the problem is that by ego we think we it's, this is the highest philosophy. It's grand. It's wonderful. It's sophisticated, and I can definitely I definitely qualify for its for its practice. Right, so I'm just saying. Right, right. Uh, uh, I've quoted here many times there's a book we have uh, called Pantra in Tibet. Uh, by his whole uh, talks of discussion or a book by his Holiness the Dalai Lama, and there he says he went to a monastery in Northern California, a bunch of American converts to Tibetan Buddhism and and Tibetan Buddhism is cool. If you like tantric cool stuff, they got tantric cool stuff, you know. They got the cool robe, they got horns made of out of human out of the femurs of criminals, you know, like all kinds of cool and you know a thousand lettered mantras and mandalas and these rituals that invoke you know, all kinds of cool, I mean, it's really cool, right? But he, in this book, Dalai Lama was saying he's actually very disappointed with them. Right, because they're doing all these very complicated things, thinking this is the high, these are the highest teachings, right? And you said that the line that I remember that out of that whole book, the, the 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 I read the whole book, but the line that I remember out of all after all these after thirty years was um, doing the uh, in, uh, intelligence is doing not doing what's highest, it's what's doing what's appropriate. That's wisdom. Wisdom is doing what's appropriate. And he said these people they haven't even generated basic they don't have basic compassion yet. He says, better that they chant Om Mani Padme Hum and try to live compassionately, right? But they're, doing, they're jumping and doing all these tantric sadhanas, right? Or the equivalent intellectual practices and philosophical inquiries and, and discussions like this, right? Without the basics, right? So sometimes it's intelligence is not doing what's highest. Highest and, highest and lowest is not... Krishna doesn't say higher or lower. He says one's easier, one's more difficult, right? <laughs> He's not putting the difficult as automatically higher, Right. Jnana Yoga and Bhakti Yoga are both referred to here. Both may be said to have been defined in the above passage. Jnana Yoga is, a, is grand. It is a high philosophy and almost every human being thinks, curiously enough, that he can surely do everything required to him by this philosophy. But it is really very difficult to live truly the life of a Jnani. We are liable to run into great danger in trying to guide our life by Jnana. This world... Oh, then he gives an example. This world may be said to contain both persons of demonical nature who think that taking care of the body is the be-all and end-all of existence and persons of godly nature who realize that the body is simply a means to an end, an instrument intended for the culture of the soul. So this is even in the Bhagavad Gita a few, uh, few chapters later, maybe in the next chapter, the 13th chapter, or the 14th, 16th, hmm? 16th chapter, 
is uh, the, 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 the difference between the divine and demoniac quality. So it's this idea. Not that we're looking, oh, there are demons out there. This is the definition of demon and, and deva. God and demon in, in, in the Gita is, in a certain way, Swamiji thing, is those who think both have bodies. One thinks the body is everything. The other thinks the body is a tool to attain something higher. Right? Actually, there's a famous story where some bad that I don't remember the full characters, an important story from the Upanishad, from the Upanishadic story, where somebody, uh, uh, in, I think Indra and who's, uh, Indra goes for the, for the gods and somebody goes, Virupaksha or something goes for the demons. They both go to a, a sage and they ask for, give us instructions. Right? And the sage says, classical Upanishadic, he says, this body is Brahman. So they both go back. Right? Uh, um, and uh, uh, and the demon goes. He goes. This is awesome philosophy. <laughs> the body is Brahman. This body is the absolute, right? Right. And he goes and he tells all the demons, right? I heard. I went to the sage. Universally, both gods and demons respect this sage. He's loved by by both sides, <laughs> both parties. <laughs> they both like this particular sage, right? And they can and concluded. And so they're very satisfied, right? And so they began to teach this philosophy. This body is is the soul. And therefore, perfection of the body is a goal. Long life is the goal, right? Uh, pleasures of the body are the goal, is the goal, right? Life is meant to satisfy the pleasures and, satis- and, and, and needs and comfort of the, and longevity of this body, right? Beauty is based on the body. Religion is based on the body. Philosophy is based on the body. Arts based on the body. Politics is based on the body. Identity, you can see right now, all identity is, ba- is literally uh, everybody's identifying with and arguments and legitimate society has a right to figure this out, right, and adjust their, their views on it, right, and, and we're doing so, but it's all literally skin deep, right, right, or, or, or synapse deep uh, by uh, body and, 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 and mind. So, but, but Indra or whoever was in the name of the God, he actually thinks after a while, says, well, Gurudev said such a thing, right, that can't be exactly right, that can't, something else must be missed because this body is temporary. Right, the body is, and Brahman should be, is we know the definition of Brahman that it's permanent, right? This body is temporary. And we also know, I mean, basic philosophy that that Brahman is all pervading. This body is limited. It's not. It has, it's limited by, and 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 like this, he kept thinking like that. So he went back to the sage, and the sage said, "Okay, practice twelve years of austerity, Brahmacharya and austerity." And then he gave a new instruction. Something I don't forget the detail, but it may have been the mind is Brahman, verily Brahman. Oh, that's very big. The mind, that's consciousness and awareness and thinking. That's much more subtle. And he goes back and he thinks, but later he thinks, maybe the body, the, that also the mind is changing, it's fickle, right? I don't remember what I, I don't remember if I had a mind before I was born. So maybe it comes into being. It's not clear. Uh, um, uh, I can observe the mind. So it's not the, the observer. You know, all those classical things that we sometimes think. And he went back. He said, okay, practice another 24 years Brahmacharya and austerity, take care of my cows, I forget, you know, something like this, <laughs> serve the guru and practice austerity. And again, he, uh, he gave, you know, the prana is, I forget, but it's like this, the next thing, the next subtle thing, the intellect is Brahman, the prana is Brahman, like this. And finally he realized, well, Brahman, when the conscious is Brahman, like this. Right, and that story is often told, is that, 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 that if we think we're the body, that's, that's the very beginning of philosophy. People don't, don't think what the next step is. Right, and that's considered, the demons take this philosophy. Right, uh, means body conscious. People make religion out of the out of body consciousness, right? Uh, uh, but the uh, the yogis who who go further, the devas who go further, requires service, requires austerity, right? And to get higher understanding, 
right? They, he get he has to serve the guru by taking care of his cows and and practice various austerities for so many years. I forget the exact list, but it's I think he had to practice like 120 something years of austerities, right before he got the highest realization, right? So also, this is a long roundabout word. Uh, there's two types. Of those who think the body. Uh, uh, this world is said to contain both persons, the demonical, those of demonical nature who think that taking care of the body is a be-all and all of existence, and persons of godly nature who realize the body is simply a means to an end, an instrument intended to cult, to cult, to cult, for the culture of the soul. The devil can and does, indeed, quote the scriptures for his own purpose. That Jesus said, right? Or that, uh, 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 that uh, uh, when Jesus was being tempted, didn't the, the devil who tempted him in the desert, he Quoted. It is. It is written, right? He says that it's like that. So he's he's quoting the scriptures, right? And there's a, even the devil can quote scriptures, right? There's a saying like this, right? So, so the thing is that our we may not be in a very high state. We may actually be in full body consciousness, but now we're we can use all kinds of philosophical, subtle philosophical points that we've learned, right? High jnana, Vedanta philosophy to justify our behavior, right? Our 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 our, our limited behavior. The devil can and indeed does quote the scriptures for his own purpose. And thus the way of knowledge appears to offer justification for what, is for what the, the bad man does. And much of it offers inducement for what the good man does. As much as it does offer inducements for what the good man does. So this is a, a, a you can use philosophy to justify bad behavior. So this is a, a, a famous example of this. That uh, 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 I think it's in the... Um, um, it's not in the holy science, but it's a. It's. A, I remember reading something in the Sri Yukteswar, the Guru of Paramahansa Gurunda, somewhere in one of that literature, maybe not. But, but somebody is saying, you know, somebody who's uh, he was telling somebody, uh, 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 who is um, uh, fishing or killing fish or eating fish or something like that, right? And and uh, uh, and he says, so that's not the best. Right, maybe you know, now you're a yogi. You know, we don't criticize the you know, universal principle. But you're a yogi. Maybe you should give that up. He says, "Why?" He says, "Well, you have to think that you know, there's um, everything has the souls and everything. We should be very careful not to harm." Right, and he says, "Oh, but Guruji, right? Uh, who's killing who? Who's eating who? Right? That's very high philosophy. That's true. Right? You know, it's like nothing's eating. I mean, even Krishna says that. Who's killing who? Right? Get up and fight." Right, you can use that. Well, Krishna says, you know, the, the 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 soul doesn't die, the soul doesn't die, and the soul is not born. Therefore, it doesn't matter if I kill anybody. Nobody's dying. Even Krishna says that. But we can use Bhagavad Gita says it's okay if we kill people. Krishna even says it, right? Or it's okay. It's, it's, or there's a story in the in, in the amongst the disciples, Sri Ramakrishna, similar one. So I mean, Brahmananda was fond of fishing. Bengal is a fish culture. He was fishing, right, with a with a with a rod and and bait, and Sri Ramakrishna got very upset with him, right. It's interesting, the reason especially, not even because of the fishing, is because of lying. Because lie, fishing with a, with a, is, is offering to feed somebody, but actually having, it's like, you're actually, uh, uh, it's, it's actually the worst crime. Bad enough you're killing, right? You know? but, so anyways, he, he said like that, he criticized, he chastised him, he says, don't do like that. He says, oh, but it's only, everything is Brahmin, the fish is Brahmin, I'm Brahmin, the, the pole is Brahmin, right? <laughs> Right? That's true. Right? He's saying something that's true. Right? That's proper Vedanta. It's, it's, I can show you in the scriptures. Everything is Brahman. 
right? See, he who sees Brahman in all activities realizes that even the Gita says that, right? Brahman is every action, you know, this type of thing, right? Right. But Sri Ramakrishna made a statement that what you're saying is true, but if you knew the truth, right, he says that the, the, uh, the pole would fall from your hand, right? When you realize that oneness, when you're speaking, you wouldn't be able to harm anything. Right, you know, it's like actually that proper nonviolence. We think of it as a path. We try to be nonviolent, but nonviolent is a symptom of realization. When one realizes everything, one can't hurt anything. Right, so that pole, that, 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 so that's that's these are kind of the example. We can use religion to justify bad behavior. We can use religion to encourage good behavior. Right, jnana. This is I mean by by philosophical things. Right, so this is a danger. The devil can and indeed does quote the scriptures for his own purpose, and thus the way of knowledge appears to offer justification for what is bad and what for the bad man does, as much as it offers inducements for what the good man does. This is a great danger in jnana yoga. But bhakti yoga is natural, sweet, and gentle. The bhakta does not take such flights as the jnana yogi, and therefore he is not liable to have such big falls. Right, that devotee who doesn't will make not make these type of statements, right, and therefore, yeah. until the bondages of the soul pass away, it cannot, of course, be free. Whatever may be the nature of the path that the religious man takes, so this is another thing. In Jnana Yoga, we also we know that the only Brahman exists. Maya actually doesn't exist, right? Maya doesn't have absolute existence, at least, right? This world, God alone exists. Maya. God alone, Brahman is real. Maya is un, the world. The world is unreal. That's the opening. That's his definition. I shall tell you in a half a verse, which said in all verses, Shankaracharya says, Brahman alone is real. This world is not real, and the soul is, none, is, is itself verily Brahman. Right. I said there the whole thing, whole truth. That's a very, a very sophisticated, clear message of the absolute highest possible truth, which he he declares. He, all the scriptures end in this verse. In half a verse, I'll tell you what every verse and every scripture, uh, and all the Vedas, Vedanta, Yoga Shastra, Agamas, everything is pointing to this one fact. Right. <clears throat> so we can think, oh, in that case, if my the world doesn't exist, there's no world, and what what what, what am I? What about my uh, my ignorance? What well, doesn't exist? Only Brahman exists, and I'm Brahman, so there is no ignorance. It's like, yep, yeah, us me saying that is an incredibly stupid, ignorant thing. Right, because I'm speaking beyond my experience, right? And the danger of that, you speak in such a way where you'll never have any experience. If you, so I'm even going to another place. He called uh, in in his um, uh, Praktivedanta volume, uh, the first of the Praktivedanta, the five lectures, right? He's, he calls that a lowering the ideal. As soon as you think what I am, there's two things: to think what the actual is the ideal, or to, or the other thing is to imagine the actual to be something it's not, right? So we think, oh. Everything is perfect as it is. Therefore, I'm perfect as I am. Now, that's better. That's probably better than most of us thinking. Being grown up, we're horrible. You know, we're we're, we're miserable. We're not worthy. And a lot of that, people think, oh, this is much better. I'm perfect as I am. That's good. You have self-esteem is important, but foolishness is not is not is not good, right? Somebody one time made a comment. Well, God God loves me as I am. Right. That's true. Right, like a mother loves her child as the child is, right? With no but the ch- mother also wants the child to grow up, and develop better qualities, right? It's, it's like it's like if the child never gets manners, never goes to school, never learns anything, oh, it never learns 
to play well with others and become selfless and all, all the things that all the stages that a child has to go through then that's that's a, if a mother doesn't assist that the mother would be considered criminal right right you know it's like it's, it's, it's yet the mother loves the child it's perfect as it is right so the idea that we're perfect as it doesn't mean that we're not that, that we're us being perfect does not mean we're perfect <laughs> Right, uh, we we uh, the uh, so we can imagine the uh, um, the the supreme standard. There's only Brahman. There is no ignorance. I'm perfectly free. I'm liberated as I am. I'm liberated here and now. That's true, but it's not our experience. It says what Krishna says for the for one who is embodied. It's not easy. This is not a difficult path because every experience, every pain, every hunger pain. Right, is shows that we have don't have that realization yet, right? So that's the danger of jnana yoga. If there's a danger, Swamiji is pointing out a slight danger, is 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 that that we uh, um, uh, fool ourselves a little bit, right? But the bhakti yogi, but bhakti yoga is natural, sweet, gentle. And the bhakti does not take the type uh, until bondage of the soul passes away, it cannot, of course, be free. Whatever may be the nature of the path that the religious man takes. So what is it that binds us, that, that we're not free? So in the classical system, you do the thing we think our bondage is caused by our karma, right? So we have, we have, we've done things and are doing things and tendencies that have a reaction. Those reactions will have to come. That's what stops, that ultimately without karma, we'd be free. Right, uh, but we, but what? So what's what? Are, what are the karmas that are binding us? We have two types of karma. There's good karma, or I can't say good karma, but pleasant karma and, and bad karma. Right. We, if the good we've done has a result, and the bad we do also has a result. Right. Painful, and the good, the result of good action is pleasure, and the result of bad action is pain. And so we're running around trying to avoid pleasure, to get pleasure and avoid pain. But also we're getting pleasure and pain. Right, that's the thing that our experience is out of the dual dualistic nature of pleasure and pain and everything in between, due to the karmas. So freedom means freedom. How to get free from that? How to so, a jnani, I'm free of, completely independent of karma. That's a very high state, right? It may be true the soul is eternally free, but that's not our experience, our present day experience, right? Because of karma. So how do we get free of pleasant and bad karma? So. Uh, Swamiji uses a very interesting. I've been thinking about this home since since last night. Right, there's a very beautiful verse. Right, he's not quite. I think it's probably from. I couldn't find it, but it's probably from the Bhagavatam, or for, uh, maybe Bhagavatam, uh, one of the Vaishnava Puranas that describe the gopis. He says, "Here is a passage showing how, with regard to one blessed gopi, the playmates of Krishna, the soul-binding chains of both merit and demerit, good and bad karma, were broken." Right. So, naturally, in the emotional life of a devotee, right, what happened next? The next section, Swamiji will, 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 will flush, flush this out. This is a setup for the next little section. Uh, uh, you have joy and pleasure when you have in the devotional experience. Thinking of God and you having some experience of God gives you so much happiness, right? And along with that, it's like in a regular. It's like that's true in regular love relationships when you have a very good connection with your lover right with the one you love either a child mother or or, or a romantic connection one one feels great happiness and bliss and happiness and ecstasy but along with that sometime there's separation either by fight separation or, se or separation by by death 
by uh, by distance, by you know. There's, there's, so in the in, in the in the emotional life of a devotee, you have the joy of union or the joy of devotion, and the pain of forgetfulness or, or separation, right? So uh, so this is he's using the gopis as he says uh, the intense pleasure of meditating on God took away the binding effect of good deeds of her good karma. Right, meditating on God gave this gopi so much joy, right? But she didn't do anything, right? So it's like if I do something to get joy, then the action caused the joy, right? She's getting joy without doing anything, right? So the 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 fuel that creates the good karmas that create joy are being are being burnt by devotional rapture, right? This is the the claim of this verse, right? Very interesting. Then her intense misery of soul in non-attaining to him washed off all the painful, all her painful karmas and propensities. Right? Because also within the devotional life of, of a devotee, especially the very high devotees, the agony of separation and the frustration of not getting, without doing anything, sitting in your own room, right? You go through agony and ecstasy, sometime in the same sitting, right? <laughs> right? Uh, and so that without causing anything, you're suffering like anything. Right, it's all inside, but suffer, the suffering is real, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, the, yes. Uh, somebody pointed out we have a painting. I think it's on the back wall. I think it's still up. Maybe it's not up. Yeah, it's, it's becoming worn out. It's in the back. In the in the other room, you can see after. Um, it's a it's the earliest painting of, of Lord Chaitanya, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, right? Uh, painted during his life, right? And he has um, uh, he has a hand on his stomach. And his hand on his heart, right? And because he's showing, he's having two intense experiences simultaneously: the joy of union with Krishna, and the pain and agony of separation from Krishna, right? So this is a very so this is not only one by one at the same time, right? To a point where it becomes you can close it's cold. Um, uh, uh, that even the even the pain of separation is a type of union, and union includes itself the pain of separation. These are very high. These are bhavas above most of our understanding, our experiences yet. Right? We can't. that we can imagine Vedantic ideals beyond our understanding. We can imagine emotional realizations beyond our understanding. We have to be careful, especially talking about the Mahabhavas of Chaitanya. But that's the the fame, a very famous pose of both pain and separation. This is the life of a devotee. What to speak of a gopi, which with either extreme where she. They'd be in union with Krishna, and then Krishna disappeared, and they'd be lost from Krishna, and all these type of things, right? So this verse is saying that that uh, 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 the intense pleasure of meditating on God took away the bind effect of her good deeds. Then her intense misery of soul in not attaining Him washed all of her sinful propensities, and then she became free. That she was free from both. Right? Now we can try to become free by controlling the mind, right? Uh, controlling the senses. Right, uh, uh, um, uh, lim- uh, becoming free from desire. Right, these are that's also a process. This is this is the, pro- the process of yoga and sankhya. They were meant to do like this, right? But this happens automatically without trying. She became free of, of, of attachments and good karmas and bad karmas and everything just absorbed in, in, in God, who happens to be the self. Right. In bhakti yoga, the central secret is therefore. To know that the various passions and feelings and emotions, such as the emotion, see the gopis are, tr- are a tricky thing because we can see in them. Oh, we have those emotions too, 
right? But we're not exactly gopis, <laughs> right? Maybe we are, but we're not, <laughs> right? And we'll, we'll, maybe we'll, we'll realize something eventually, right? But, but their, their passions, their experience of Krishna were at a level beyond we can comprehend, right? But we have remnants of that, even in our simple devotional lives, right? So in Bhakti Yoga, the secret is so, so just, like, just like that gopi became free without trying, without Vedantic study, right? Actually, there's a scenes in the, in the, in the, in the Uddhava Gita where Uddhava, Krishna's cousin, goes to meet the, go, the gopis, right? Krishna's in Mathura. He says he sends, he sends Krishna to the gopis. Uh, he sends, he sends uh, his cousin to the gopis. Uh, and he begins to teach them because they're all, all in longing and separation. But, but Krishna isn't, you don't have to be separated from Krishna. Krishna's, Krishna's everywhere. He's a self of all. Right? And they're like, what? what are you talking about? Like this, you know, to, talk, to tell somebody whose lover just left and, 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 will, and will never come back. Right? <laughs> Krishna never came back. You know? Krishna levered even Vavim, but he left from Dhamma and never came back. Right? You know, it's, like, it's like, not only did he leave and he's not here, you're saying he's everywhere and we're one with him. But that's fine. You may blink that all you want, but you're telling somebody that knows we were with him, he left and never came back. That's the reality, right? And so they give him a good, they give him a good chastisement, you know. Yet, in the discussion, he begins to try to teach them, and he realizes they they had they know more of Krishna than I do. They have more union with Krishna than I do. With all my philosophy and yoga and sankhya and and you know the, the, like that, they they have the real thing. So so um. <clears throat> anyway, continue. In Bhakti Yoga, the central secret is therefore to note the various passions and feelings and emotions of the human heart are not wrong. Right? We can try it so in themselves. Only they have to be carefully controlled and given a higher and higher direction. In the opening pages of this text, in the, in the Bhakti, uh, Bhakti Yoga, he defines actually Bhakti Yoga is a science of taking our passions, taking our attachments, taking our, our emotions. And drives and and giving them a higher, a higher turn, focusing them on God, and thus attain rather usually those very things that entangle us in the world of birth and death, or the pleasure. I mean, then fine for most people in the joys of life. That's called the joys of the world, the life. That's what that's fine. But for a yogi, it's unbearable. The very things that that are that are binding us, we realize these are the things that have bound us. But actually, in bhakti yoga, they're not bad. We have to know how to use their power, direct their power, right? Bhakti yoga, how the various passions and feelings and emotions in the human heart are not wrong in themselves, only they have to be carefully controlled and given to a higher and higher direction until they attain the very highest condition of excellence. The highest direction is that which takes us to God. Every other direction is lower. We find that pleasure and pain are very common and oft-recurring feelings in our lives. When a man feels pain, so pain and pleasure are fixed. We, we, we get those all the time. When a man feels pain because he has no wealth or some other worldly thing, he has given a wrong direction to that feeling. Pain is going to be that we feel pain because we don't have money. We have pain because, our, because somebody left us. We have pain because we're, uh, 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 we didn't get enough likes on our <laughs> very good post. I can't believe Ananda didn't like it, you know. <laughs> Whatever it is. I mean, nowadays, it can, now there's a whole new category of psychological causes of pain. <laughs> right. Uh, 
Right. That's a lower, that's a pain and pleasure is there, but pain for those type of things is that, that's what Swamiji is saying is a lower pain, lower use of that. Uh, When a man feels pain because he has no wealth or some other such worldly thing, he is giving a wrong direction to that feeling. Still, pain has its use. Let a man feel pain because he has not reached the highest, like the gopis suffering for, for lack of Krishna. Because he has not reached God, then that pain would lead to his salvation. When you become glad that you have a handful of coins, you give the wrong direction to the facility or the faculty of joy. It should be given a higher direction. It should be made to serve the highest ideal. Pleasure in that kind, in that kind of ideal must surely be our highest joy. The same thing is true of all of our other feelings. The Bhakta says that not one of them is wrong. He takes hold of them all and points them unfailingly, unfailingly towards God. the same as your book with little differences this the edition that I've been reading from it's been slightly edited and so I'd like to see what the original like for instance there's some Sanskrit verses that have been removed translations are there but the original so that's good to know that he's catching them uh, so between jnana and bhakti yoga he's just saying not one's higher, one's lower, one's easier. Why is it easier? Because it's more natural. We have uh, taking the very, the very, our very drives, our very emotions, our very desires, our likes, and um, our, our uh, feelings and emotions and, and, and aspirations, putting them on God leads us to God. The other way, you have to deny them to find, to find the unmanifested, right? The one that, but the Lord of the Lord of all manifestation. He can be found by directing everything towards. Then what happens? Right. Uh, I won't finish the next section, but we can just read another ten minutes probably. Uh, um, it's called the naturalness of bhakti, and it's no, I read that one. Uh, forms of love manifestation. So when you put your attention, when you direct your uh, uh, pleasure and pain, your emotions, your desires, even your anger and the like towards God, to a realization of God, towards love, things happen. Here are some of the forms in which love manifests itself. First, reverence. He gives a list. Some things he gives, this is the classical list. Uh, Swamiji is adjusting a little bit. But these are stages uh, considered in Bhakti Yoga. One way of understanding it. Some things he translates, some things he gives the original. This one he doesn't give original, but here it's, it's a, a, I don't think there he gives, right? It means reverence. So the first, what happens as you develop love for somebody or love for God, especially, one, happens, one thing happens is reverence, where you get great respect. Right? Uh, but it's interesting, that's the first thing that happens. Right? Usually we consider most, a lot in religion, we think of reverence is religion. Right? The fear of God. Right? You could almost think, you know, it's like, you know, it's like he's a God-fearing man. You know? uh, not necessarily, usually that means being extremely respectful, being reverential. Right, first, reverence. Why do people feel reverence for temples and holy places like Kali Mandir? Because God is worshipped there and His presence is associated with such, such places. Because we love God, we love things, things associated with Him are given great respect. Right? 
scriptures that, that contain holy teachings, we, we put carefully, we don't put them on the floor. Oh, I, I, if somebody touches it with their feet, we get upset. Don't touch it with your feet. Why? Right? You know, uh, because it's connected, right? We, because, we, because of our, our, our blossoming love for God, respect for things associated with God become great. These begin to develop. Uh, uh. That's true in human relationships also. If I, if, when you love somebody, the things associated with that person become important to you. Right? Uh, uh. Why do people in every country pay reverence to teachers of religion? It is natural for the human heart to do so because all such teachers preach the Lord. At bottom, reverence grows out of love. None of us can revere one whom we do not love. Then comes priti. Priti means pleasure. He describes a play or pleasure in God. So that's higher than reverence. Right? And actually, usually we consider reverence and respect to be actually fairly low state. We, in, in the bhakti, eventually, uh, you have you know, um, uh, saints who are arguing with God, right? You know, the, the, the uh, one line that we, we remember a lot of time is of, of Saint Teresa of Avila. She was in her 70s, already 70s or 80s, old lady, right? And going from one convent to another on a rainy day, right? And some lightning comes, right? And she gets knocked off her horse and falls into the mud, Right, seventy-year-old lady knocked off a horse in the, in the mud, and then she sees the image, uh, a vision of Jesus. So the story goes, right? So like, that's a big one thing. You're like, wow, Jesus, right? Her immediate response is like to chastise him, right? You know, it's like if this is how you treat those who serve you and worship you, it's a miracle anybody serves you, right? I spent my whole life serving you, and this is how you treat me. I'm doing your work, and you're knocking off. I mean, so that's you can see, you can see normally because that's a very, unre- but actually it's a very intimate thing. It shows her intimacy with with the God that she served, right? So there's many examples of that, you know, of of um, in uh, uh, love, actually, you know, like uh, the playmates of Krishna in wrestling matches would pin him down. Ah, you think you're God? Ha! Get out of this one, you know, like <laughs> like, like like out of intimacy, and you get more and more intimate. Reverence also goes away, right? Uh, so that's an important point. So it's, next comes Prithvi, then becomes pleasure. Pleasure in God. What an immense pleasure a man takes in the object of the senses. They go anywhere, run through any danger to get the things which they love, the things which their senses crave. What is wanted of the bhakta is this very kind of intense love, which has, however, to be directed to God. Then there is a sweet, then, then there is the sweetest of pains, Viraha. So first is reverence, then is pleasure, pleasure in attaining something of God, then viraha. Viraha is that same. This is that, or the uh, holding the stomach. Oh, right, through separation. The sweetest of pains is the separation from the lover, from the beloved. Right, next stage. Then there, then there is the sweetest of pains, viraha, the intense misery due to the absence of the beloved. When a man feels intense misery because he has not attained to God, has not known, has not known that that which is the only thing worthy to be known, and becomes a, in consequence, very dis, dissatisfied and almost mad, 
then there is viraha. And this state of mind makes him feel disturbed in the presence of anything other than the beloved. The viraha, the viraha is, is also... There's intense examples of this, like the gopis when Krishna disappeared from their midst. There's a classic example, right? Um, but there's a lesser manifestations of this. It's just general disgust. It's like I want, I'm trying to think of God, and I'm not thinking of God. I'm trying to realize highest truths, and things are stopping me. And pretty soon, everything that stops you begins to upset you. This is a this is a more simpler manifest, not the highest examples of Chaitanya and, and Radha, you know. We can't, uh, but we, we, we experience this viraha also in this way. And like, for example, like uh, um, uh, devotees when, in being forced to hear worldly talk. That's a common thing. You want to think of God, but everybody's talking worldly things, right? And it's, it's hard. The thing is that we're not strong enough to think of God while people are talking worldly things, right? So we get upset with ourselves and we get upset with others. Right, this is a typical response, right? You get upset because they're not talking worldly thing. We get upset, like, it doesn't matter what people talk. I should be able to think of God. I shouldn't. I shouldn't be disconnected. So this is. These are also manifestations of this, of this sweetest of pains, viraha. When a man feels intense misery because he has not attained to God, not known that which is the only thing worthy to be known, and becomes a con- in consequence very dissatisfied. And almost mad, and then then there is viraha, and this state of mind makes him feel disturbed in the presence of anything other than the beloved. In earthly love, we see how often this viraha comes. Again, when a man really and intensely is in love with a woman or a woman with man, they feel a kind of natural annoyance in the presence of all those whom they do not love. Exactly the same state of impatience with regard to things that are not that are not loved comes to the mind. When Parabhakti holds sway over him, when the supreme love comes over somebody, even to talk about things other than God becomes distasteful. Then, Swamiji, you translated the verse. What is it? Anyavacho imunchata. That the one, mm-hmm. right? And this is uh, from the Mundaka. Swamiji found the, the verse from the Mundaka Upanishad. Swamiji quotes. Vivekananda quotes. Think of him, think of him alone, and give up all vain words. That's the Upanishad. Think of him only, and don't talk nonsense things. Right? And you can see this is actually a practice. We were encouraged not to speak nonsense. In the Bhagavatam, there's this two things that are given. The very first section of the Bhagavatam, it's given when um, uh, uh, the very topic of discussion of the Bhagavatam is given. Talks about God are one type of thing. Other talks are another type of thing. Right? And one's called uh, Kata, Krishna Kata. Talk about God. Talk about about divine things, right? And the other is called, I think it's prajalpa, maybe prajalpaka or something. It's been a while since I've thought these words. Prajalpa means that which um, um prajalpata or prajalpaka, which uh, crows eat. Crows eat garbage, right? They eat stool. They eat like so. It's like we should be like bees, only taking nectar. We want to hear only this divine thing, not like a crow or a fly that eats any garbage or lie, that, lands, that lands on anything. And so we, we can't. So sometimes devotees they cannot stand to hear worldly talk, and sometimes we do hear, and we, we like to hear worldly talk, right? And then we get disgusted with ourselves that how much time has been wasted, right? And how much how I, what why why am I getting pleasure from this? You know that that whole this is all that these are the things that these are the stages. These are one of the stages of love, right? I am I'm, I'm remembering. Uh, somebody told me I was not present, but it's His Holiness Radhanath Swami. Uh, uh, 
who is very expert at only talking about God. No matter what anybody talks about, he talks about God. And so some devotees in his company were talking about food. Right? And the conversation naturally happened. And he was like, yeah, actually for devotees, you either talk about Krishna or you talk about food. <laughs> These are our two main, our two main sources of pleasure, right? <laughs> right? And so they were talking about food. And, I mean, and the topic was not, there's no, how do you like, something, there's a, there's a skill. He's very good at it. That's why I'm bringing it up because I've seen it. To whatever the situation, to figure out the way to, to, to get the conversation towards something great. And so, if I'm remembering it properly, I forgive whoever told me the story, maybe a little watching, but uh, somebody was talking about, and they were talking about like rice, and the conversation was about rice for too long. So how do I change, change it to, to Krishna, or to Chaitanya? And so in the middle of the conversations, Sri Chaitanya liked rice. <laughs> Just somehow or another to get it. <laughs> right? Or there's another tremendous personality, uh, uh, Jai Pataka Swami, the American Swami in, 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 in Mayapur. But he was, no matter what the topic of any verse people give him, he likes to talk about only about, could you talk about who you love, right? He likes to talk about Chaitanya. He loves Chaitanya. So whatever the verse. So if he was reading this one, he would say, and still a higher stage is reached when life maintained only for the sake of ones of love. Anyways, Lord Chaitanya was walking along. He doesn't immediately go into the talk of Lord Chaitanya. Whatever the topic is, his talk would be on Chaitanya. That's very famous for this. Right? But the thing is, what else are you going to talk about? You talk about whom you love. You cannot be forced to talk about something different. is painful. Or to hear something different is painful at this stage. Even to talk about things other than God becomes a safe to them. Think of him, think of him alone, and give up all vain talks. Anyavacha vimuncha The bhakta feels friendly towards those who talk of him alone. No, I've skipped section, did I? Think of him. The bhakta feels friendly toward those who talk of him alone. While those who talk of anything else appear to him to be unfriendly. A still higher stage of love is reached when when life is maintained only for the sake of the one ideal of love, when life is considered beautiful and worth living only on account of love. So not only that we don't want to be distracted by other things and, and upset with ourselves and others, we're not thinking of God or being separated from God, but the higher state was that when love, love and, and love of God is the only purpose of life. There's no second thing. Without it, life would not endure even for a moment. Life is sweet because one thinks of the beloved. So Swamiji calls that tadiyata. Tadiyata, right? This is a stage. Tadiyata means, he even gives a new transition, uh, hisness, right? Or you or, or, or you-ness, right? I mean, everything belongs to God. Everything, God, everything is about God. Everything is his or hers. Tadiyata <laughs> is, 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 could be either gender <laughs> This one it may be, right? So everything. So things that no, there's nothing other than God. There's nothing else important. Everything relates to God, right? The purpose of everything is exactly even in the in the in the uh, Ish, Ishupanishad, right? The first verse is right. Everything belongs to Ishvara, right? That, that's the first thing. And then, and 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 just uh, uh, think, if everything is God, ninety nine percent of all problems end. But that's simple realization, 
right? Everything is about God. Everything God's the only important thing. I mean, and and one's life becomes like this, right? This is sweet. life is sweet. Uh, life is sweet because one thinks of the beloved. Tadiyata, hisness comes when a man thinks. When man becomes perfect according to bhakti, when he has become blessed, when he has attained God, when he has touched his feet, the feet of God, as it were, then his whole nature is purified and completely changed. What is it purified? Ego is removed. It's all. It's not about me anymore. It's about him, or about you, or about her, or it. You know, about God. You know. So, so you can see, and what did Thakur say? Uh, what is it? To me, to me. What is that? Uh, the mantra? Naham, 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 to me, to me. Right? Naham, naham, to who, to who. To who, to who, sorry. Naham, naham, to who, to who. This was like a mantra. He said, repeat this. And he himself repeats it. Not I, not I, thou, you, you. Not thou even, to you. It's very, it's extremely affectionate. So We always say, not I, but thou. No, it's like, not me, you. Right? That, that, just that one, sim- that's, that is a practice not to take your attention, but actually every mantra says this also. When we say like uh, uh, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Sri Durgaye Namaha, right? So we say Namaha. What does Namaha? It means I bow, right? So that's that's a sign of respect and like that. But the scriptures define Namaha as Namam, right? Namam, right? Which means not me. So when you say Om Namah Shivaya, it says not me, Shiva, or you. Not I, not I, you, you. Hisness, right? So it, we're, we're practicing the highest realization in bhakti. Because he says, this is you already touched the When you have really this, when you touch God's feet, this is the realization. It's all him, I, not me, only everything is his. Only thing is him. That is, uh, <clears throat> then his whole life becomes purified and completely changed. All his purpose in life then becomes fulfilled. Yet many such bhaktas live on solely t- to worship him. This is the bliss, the only pleasure in life, which will, which the uh, which they will not give up. This is the one pleasure that the devotee will not give up. Right, and then uh, give the. This is the one that has the Sanskrit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a Swamiji family. It's from the Nishinga Tapani Upanishad. Swamiji quotes, and you mentioned that you found it. It's Jiva Goswami, Rupa Goswami quotes it, mm-hmm. right? Because it's a this. I know this Upanishad. It's not. Quoted. It's not an important Upanishad, right? And and in the devotional scriptures, it's connected. I think it may be related to that previous verse of the Gopis as you were finding. Uh, but anyways, it says. Um, let's see if I can pronounce it. Yam sarve deva namanti mumukshavad mumukshavo brahma varinascha something like that, right? O king, that uh, says, such is the blessed quality of Hari that even those who have become satisfied in the self, all the knots of their hearts have been cut asunder. Even they love the Lord for love's sake. Oh, that's, a, that's the part that's not translated. And then it says, the, Lord's, uh, the Lord, whom all gods worship, all, love, all, lovers, uh, all the lovers of liberation, all knowers of Brahman. This is Sarva Deva, all gods, all, all lovers, and all um, love, uh, people who are striving for liberation. Everyone, the bhaktas, the jnanis, the yogis. Everyone is worshipping only that Lord. So that's the uh, focus on Him. This is everything. Such is the power of love. When a man has forgotten himself altogether and does not feel that anything belongs to him, then he acquires the state of tadiyata. Everything is sacred to him because it belongs to the beloved. 
Even with regard to earthly love, the lover thinks that everything belonging to his beloved is sacred and very dear to him. He loves even a piece of cloth belonging to the darling of his heart. Right. In the same way, when a person loves the Lord, the whole universe becomes dear to him, becomes as it, because it is all his. So this is the setup for the next section. Right. Actually, just like in a regular human relationship, somebody we really love, especially when we've lost that person, any little thing becomes like a relic. Even in human situation, you know, this is, oh, this was my mom's. Something we hold very, very, very uh, carefully, these type of things. Right? Uh, uh, but what's, when one has that type of love, not that type of love, infinitely more love for God, right? the real mom, the Maha Mom of everything, <laughs> Maha Mommy, it's my new name, the, thousand, the new thousand names of my mother, updated version, Maha Mommy, Yei Namaha. Uh, um, uh, 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 then all the things that belong to her, belong to him, become sacred. This world belongs to him, belongs to her. And this whole world becomes sacred and loved, right? And that's, that's the next section which we talk next week, God willing. Universal love, how to love. Knowing the one, we love. Knowing the, 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 the all-pervading, we love the particular. And because we love the particular, we love the all-pervading. It goes into the science. So anyway, thank you for your kind of attention. I'm exactly one minute early, so I'm doing pretty good. Or 30 minutes late, depends on how you interpret Jai Ma. Jai Taku, Jai Ram Krishna. Bye everyone who's watching online.